0: Thank you, praise team. Thank you, Gabby. So good to see you in God's house today. We're glad that you're here to worship with us, and we want to exalt Christ uh, through the Word now as we've exalted Him through our song and through testimony. And so if you would, take your Bibles to Mark chapter 3 today. Mark chapter 3. We're going to continue our series, Join the Journey, in Mark chapter 3 today. And while you're turning there in your Bibles, thank you, Roger, for being here today and sharing your passion and your your work there in Mozambique, and he didn't really come out right and say it, but, you know, there's still a lot of work to do in Mozambique at that hotel and getting things recovered from that uh, hurricane and the damage that was done. If you'd like to give to that, I want to challenge you to do that. I want to challenge you to give to that. Like, if you want to make out a check or or give a bunch of cash, a lot of cash would be good, or you want to give online... Uh, we got the offering boxes there if you want to do check or cash, or you can go on to our site, and in the giving area, there's a drop-down box that'll say Mozambique, and that'll be designated to that ministry there that we've supported now. We've supported him for a couple of years now, and uh, we're just glad to do it. Got to know him through Daryl and Leah, and so excited about that. Did the Burnetts have to leave? Did they go? Are they still here? No, no, not the Burnetts. The other, Rock and Carol, the mom and dad. They had to go, okay. Right, I was going to. Recognize them too, but I I won't recognize them, okay? All right. Take your Bibles to Mark 3. Very excited about uh, those kind of things that go on in missions. I think it's a wonderful thing, and I love to support it. Matter of fact, my title today is Zeroing In on Mission. Zeroing In on Mission. Stand with me now as we read God's Word. I'm going to read verse 20 in chapter 3 all the way to the end of the chapter. It says, And he came home, that is Jesus, and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, He has lost his senses. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Elzebub, and he casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. And he called them to himself, and he began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, he's finished. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whosoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin. Because they were saying he had an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. You may be seated. I want to start by saying this, the anticipation of an event is very often different than the experience of it. Now, hang on to that thought. The anticipation of an event is very often different than the experience of it. And I want you to see that in this story today. So I'm setting the stage right off there. When you think about an anticipation of event, sometimes it's better than the event. Or sometimes the event is better than the anticipation. For example, when I first flew solo flight, I had 11 hours of flight logged in. I had only practiced 11 hours with my instructor, and at 11 hours at 16 years of age, I solo, air, I solo flew that airplane as the pilot. Who lets a 16-year-old loose in a $40,000 plane over the countryside at 16 years of age? My instructor looked at me, Danny Yatsko, and he said, I'm going to get out of the plane right now, and I want you to go back out to the runway. I want you to do three takeoffs and three landings and then come on back to the um, office. I couldn't believe it. 11 hours. I was so excited. I had thought about this event for a long time in my life, and here it was coming now. He got out of the plane. I got onto that radio like I was controlling the whole airport. Control tower, this is 6170 Juliet. Prepare to taxi. Ready for taxi to take off runway 18. Ground control came back on, 6170 Juliet. You are cleared to taxi, runway 18, contact departure 12309 when you arrive. Roger that, 6170 Juliet. I was getting into that on that call sign. And I began to taxi. And I began to feel the incredible power that I was going to be taking this plane off all by myself. Got down to where you had to do the check on the flight. Right before you do, you set the notch of the uh, flaps to about 25 degrees, and then you check the magnetos. You rev rev up the engine a little bit, check your magnetos. I don't know what those were. I didn't even know what they did, but I just knew I had to check them. So I checked those magnetos, and then I got on with departure. Departure? 6170 Juliet. Ready for takeoff, highway, uh, highway. runway 18. Departure came back on, 6170 Juliet, you are clear for takeoff. Contact departure at 12409, hold a heading of 18. Roger, 30 Juliet, taking off. I pushed that full throttle as hard as I could, got up to 57 knots per hour, pulled back and rotated on that aileron, and when I pulled back, I was flying all alone. I could not believe it. I was up above the airport. I was looking down. I actually looked over at my seat to the right-hand side to see if the instructor really wasn't there, and he wasn't there, and I patted the seat, and I was like, yep, he's not here. I am the captain of my soul. I'm the master of my fate. And there I was flying across the countryside, in that little Piper Warrior and was one of the greatest experiences I've ever had in my life. It was so cool to be alone because the anticipation of the event could not have prepared me in any way for the experience of it, to be alone in a plane. And then the next experience to take my father from uh, Philadelphia to Reading, Pennsylvania, and to fly back—he had business in Reading—to fly him over there, and I was the pilot of the plane. This time, Dad listens to me, and he doesn't do—he does what I want him to do. That's how it works when you're a pilot, you know. And so I flew to Reading, PA, came back to Philly, and that was another highlight in my life to fly my dad. And so as I tell you that, that anticipation could have never touched what those experiences are like. Sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes the experience doesn't touch the anticipation. You get all anticipated about something, like leaving home. Leaving home. I can't wait to leave home. I'm going to be on my own. I get to be my own rules, do what I want. And then I get out there on my own, and it dawns on me. This adult thing isn't as easy as I thought. you got to pay bills and take care of some things in your life. Or how about when you bought your first house? So excited to buy your first house. And the anticipation of that's great, but when you get to the experience, you come back to that house that you bought, you're all excited about it, and then you're like, what is PMI insurance all about? And what are these taxes? They tax you for everything. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done on this house that I bought. And all those things got me to see the reality of that event. Or how about your first child? That's an incredible event. Nothing can match that. And so you come into the hospital, that little baby's born, you hold that little girl Allison in your arms, and you look at your wife, and she says, She is beautiful, just like you. You're beautiful, and she's beautiful. And you're just so caught up with emotion when you experience that. And then you get out in the car, and you're on your way home, and you look over at your wife. Your wife looks at you, and you say, What have we done? What have we done? See, those two things can be completely different. And if you can follow me at some level in those experiences, if you can appreciate that the anticipation doesn't always measure up to the experience, you can understand what the family of Jesus was struggling with. And you can understand their experience when they saw Jesus begin to mushroom in his ministry. They weren't ready for that. They weren't ready for that. They thought they were ready, but they weren't ready for it. Now, I'm going to talk to you about that today because that's an important thing. And what Mark is doing here is very unique in his Bible. Very few writers do this, but he is doing something that he's done for the first time in his text of the book of Mark. It's a unique style. It's called, I'm just going to give you the simple term, sandwiching, sandwiching. And if you don't put these three stories together, you'll you'll miss the whole point of all the stories. And so that's why I have to do all these verses here today, sandwiching. What it means is this. He starts to tell a story about his family, and in the middle of telling a story about his family, he stops. And then he goes and tells another story about the scribes and Jesus being possessed by Satan. And then after he tells that story, he comes back and he tells and finishes this first story with his family. So you got the first piece of bread, which is the story with the family saying, you're out of your mind. Then you got the middle story where the scribes say, you're possessed by Satan. Then you got the last story where the family comes back and wants to talk to Jesus. All right? So that's, that's called sandwiching in the Bible, and it's an incredible way that he does it here. And why he does it is this, so you get this, okay? He does it because he thinks the story of family and the story of being possessed by Satan are related. That's why these have to be put together when you teach them. The story of family and the story of Satan possessing Jesus are related. Your first thought would be, how could a family reacting to Jesus be related to a guy who says he's possessed by Satan? Because a mom who cares for a kid, how could that be related to this possession story? That's what you would think when you would read it, but they're absolutely related, and that's the way Mark says it. Mark is saying they are more related than you think. You say, how are they related? Because in both cases, they're trying to knock Jesus off mission. The family and his enemies. That's so important to hear. They are trying to knock Jesus off mission. Anything that knocks us off mission is to be avoided, friend or foe, family or enemy. And there will be people in your life, in your family, that will try to knock you off mission if you're not careful. Could be a husband, could be a wife, could be a child, could be a parent, could be an uncle, could be a relative, could be somebody trying to knock you off mission, and it could even be an enemy. And so I want to talk to you about that today. So I've outlined this message around, there are three mistakes to avoid to keep you on mission. Mission. Three mistakes to avoid. Here we go. Number one, do not mistake intensity for insanity. Do not mistake intensity for insanity. Now, it says in verse 21 that thousands more people were coming to Jesus, and to the extent this time it says that he couldn't even eat a meal. Now, it doesn't mean he's skipping lunch or he's skipping supper or he's skipping breakfast. That's not what it means. It is written in such a way, the language in the tense is that he couldn't hardly ever eat. And it kept going on and on and on. They had thousands of people to minister to, thousands of people who were demon possessed, thousands of people who needed healings. And they didn't even have time to eat. They were going day after day after day, and they weren't even eating a meal because they were so busy. Well, the family finds out everything that's going on with Jesus. And they say in verse 21, when his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying he has lost his senses. He's out of his mind. Now, look at that phrase, his own people. See the word own people there? You read that, and you're like, what does that mean? That's his family. That's that's his immediate family. Mary, the brothers of Jesus, maybe an uncle, maybe an aunt, but it is his immediate family. It's relatives and immediate family. So you need to understand that so you understand the interpretation. That's why sometimes the interpreters didn't want to interpret it that way because it just seemed odd to say that they thought Jesus was crazy. But the family thought Jesus was crazy. Now think about that for a minute. Okay? They thought he was crazy. They decided to lay hold of him or seize him or kidnap him. They were going to kidnap him and bring him back home because of all the things they had seen. And Mary's like, I can't believe all these things that Jesus is doing. What, what's going on here? This, this doesn't seem to match. You say, well, what would she be so bothered by as a mother? Well, first of all, she's go, he's going up against every leader in Israel. He's going up against the Pharisees, the Sadducees. He's going up against the scribes. Every political ruler in the country of Israel, Jesus is going head to head with them. And not only that, but they're plotting to kill him. And Mary's like, we can't let this happen. They're plotting to kill my son? Boys? get the camels. We're going right now. We're going to go get them. It it doesn't matter. See, she is is so bothered by what is happening, she is going to kidnap her own son. Now, just get that in your mind, because that's an incredible thing. And so, um, in this case, she thinks he's insane. That's really the word there in the language. He's insane. Now, Now, just think about this in terms of the crowds he was pulling in. He was pulling in some weird people some sinners, demon-possessed people. He even put some rapscallions on his own team, a zealot. Mary's like, what are you doing putting a zealot on your ministry? What are you doing putting a tax collector in your ministry? She, She could not seem to handle all the things that were happening, and so she just had had it. She got the boys together, got some relatives together, and said, let's go kidnap them because the anticipation of the event, she wasn't ready for the experience of it. See, she knew he was virgin born. She knew the angels sang. She knew the magi had come. She was there for it all, as the brothers knew the story, as did the relatives. They heard all the stories, but for 30 years of his life, he is quiet. He's a carpenter. And now, all of a sudden, He has stirred up the whole nation of Israel. And Mary couldn't quite put that together in her mind. And so she said, We got to get this boy. We got to get him out of here now. Because they mistaked intensity for insanity. The boy looked like he was insane at 30 years of age. But it wasn't insanity. It was intensity. See, from Mary's view, she saw insanity. From Mary, uh, from the family's view, they saw insanity. From heaven's view, they saw passionate, intense ministry. Heaven's view, earth's view. And so Mary is taken by, back by this, as are other people in the family. And I, I just want to say this to you because it, it, it's, it's very important to say to you. Do you ever mistake intensity for insanity? Do you ever look at somebody and say, that man, that guy's crazy. He, he's out there in his walk with Jesus. I, I just can't believe what he's doing, or I can't believe what she's doing. They, they're just so passionate about that. They're not, it's not intensity. It's insanity. They've gone too far. You know anybody like that? You ever hear a couple would pack up, leave the country, and go to Mozambique? You know anybody like that? Two good jobs, accountant, public school teacher, Forsyth County, good money, doing okay, got a family, and they just pack up and go. Is that intensity or is that insanity? And I want to tell you something, would you do that? Would you walk away from your job? Would you walk away from your income? Would you walk away from your family? Would you just pack up and go? Well, let me ask you, why not? Pastor Rob, that's kind of crazy. How could you expect me to do that? See, you don't want to mistake intensity for insanity. When people do some things that look really crazy to us, and they don't make a lot of sense to us. But the truth is, that's exactly what a lot of people are doing. Let me just ask you, would you leave it all for the gospel? Could anybody look at your life and say, man, they're crazy in their intensity for Christ. They're crazy about it." That's that's what I'm hoping. That's that's what I want at this church. That's the kind of culture I want here is this, this intensity this passion that some people out there outside of us would look at us and say, they're crazy. They're crazy. Leave it all for the gospel's sake? It's crazy. There's no way I would do that. What are you doing that's crazy to the world with your life right now? What are you doing that the world looks at and says, that is crazy? See, that's that's how you want to kind of look at this in your life. What is it that, that sometimes your intensity can be interpreted for insanity? We can't make a mistake of looking at someone's intense passion for doing the things that God's called them to do and just out of hand saying, that's insane. That's insane. I'd like to have some more of that here. I'd like to have some more insanity from the world's perspective in our church, in our ministries, in our serving, in what we do, that we look to the world like we're crazy. And it might even look like to your family you're crazy. But you've got this intensity about you. Now, I believe this. um, Culture doesn't help us here much. Some of you will understand this. And I want to just explain it to you. Sometimes we look at culture and we watch over 20, 30, 40 years and we see the pendulum switch and move to the other side. And I feel like at some level that pendulum has moved. Uh, we, we've seen the dangers of overwork. We've seen the dangers of long hours. We've seen someone who overcommitted, worked 70, 80 hours a week. And then we say something like this, I'd never do that. I'd never do that. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let my work get out of balance with my family. I'm not going to let my work uh, take me too much. But what happens sometimes in cultures is the pendulum looks at that one side of how a culture lived and then it lo- goes to the other side. And when it goes to the other side, it's, that person just says, well, I'm just going to kind of take care of myself. I- I'm not going to do too much work in my life. I'm telling you, Jesus was missing meals for the gospel's sake. And he was without sin. He was going days without meals. He probably wasn't eating right. He was catching what he could here and there as the disciples. And he was missing meals. I'd say that's pretty intense. Which tells me as a pastor, it's okay to be all in sometimes. It's okay to be all in. It's okay to push yourself beyond what you're comfortable with and have a hard week and have a hard day and have a long day and have long hours. It's okay to do that for the gospel's sake. Now, yeah, if you do it every day, something's out of whack. I get that. That's out of balance if you're doing it every day. But there ought to be some days that you're saying, for the gospel's sake, I'm going to invest in this. I'm going to be a part of this. I'm going to get into this. But not to do it some, that misses something too. That misses something, too. I want to raise up individuals in this church and my family who have an intense, burning passion with reckless abandonment for the cause of Christ. That's what I want. That's what I want. I mean, don't you want that? Don't you really want that in your spirit? That you want a a passionate walk with Christ that people would look at you and say, you are crazy. That's what I want for every one of you. I want it for every one of you from my heart. But sometimes when we experience it, it's easy to cash out and say, that's crazy. I'm not going to do that again. Some teenager goes off on a mission trip to another country, comes back, and they tell their mom, one day, mom, I'm going back there. I'm going back there, mom. How do you handle that, Mom? You're going to hinder that? You're going to help that? You're going to build that into your child? You're going to abandon that child to Jesus Christ and say whatever God has for you. That's not easy. Because the anticipation of it doesn't always measure up to the experience of it. But that's what I want. That's what I want. When we build these buildings... We're not just building brick and mortar here. I want you to understand that. It's so important you get that. We are literally, we are literally making a way for the future ministry and future persons of this church when we're not here. That's what we're doing. We're investing in that. We're investing in a place for children, for students, for future ministry some five-year-old kid's going to get saved. And you say, well, five-year-old kids, it's so easy for them to get saved. Let me tell you something. When a five-year-old gets saved or a 50-year-old gets saved, they're raised from death to life, wherever they are. And if they're raised from death to life, what I want this church to be is a culture that says, go out and do something for Jesus with your life. Make Jesus the center of your life. That's what I want to happen to a five-year-old. That's what I want to happen to a 50-year-old. I want that intensity, that passion. And that's what I want this church to be. It's not the buildings at all. It is what we can do with these buildings for the furtherance of the gospel. And I want to do everything I can to come alongside you, mom and dad, to make that happen with your child. So is there a chance you lost a little of your intensity? You lost a little of your intensity. What might he call you to do? What might he be speaking? What is the Spirit of God speaking to you right now to do that could show your intensity in a greater way? Okay, that's number one. Let's go on. Number two, do not mistake the work of the Spirit for the work of Satan. Do not mistake the work of the Spirit for the work of Satan. Now the family thinks Jesus is insane and the religious fanatics who have been sent up from Jerusalem, the headquarters in Jerusalem of the religious political system have been sent up to check out Jesus and they have to get back on the phone. Can you imagine that conversation with their guys back down in Jerusalem and they're saying to the guy, boss, I'm telling you, are you sitting down right now? It's a lot worse than you think. I mean, they're coming to him by the thousands Thousands. And he is healing thousands of people. I don't know what we're going to do, boss. I mean, thousands of people are being, demons are being cast out of them. I mean, he is feeding 5,000 people with just a few pieces of bread and a couple fish. I don't know what we're going to do, boss. It's bad. It's really bad. Yeah, I got an idea. I got an idea. I think it's our best bet. I don't know what else we could do because the miraculous is happening here. I think the only thing we can do, boss, is tie this thing to Satan. That's it. We've got to tie it to Satan. That's a great idea, son. We ought to get that on Reuters, we'll get it on UP, we'll get it on the AP, we'll get it out there on the news waves, we'll get it on every TV station, every social media outlet we can. We'll get it in the congressmen and we'll get the senates on board. We'll get everybody on board so all the people are so easy to believe with just a little media, just a little news station. They're fools. They'll buy it hook, line, and sinker. And they'll follow all along. See, this isn't just some little isolated case of one guy saying this. This was spread abroad everywhere Jesus went. He is possessed by Satan. That's how he's doing what he's doing. And so, as you look at this passage, that's what I want you to have in the back of your mind is this intense way to try to trap Jesus. And their thought is, if we don't get him here, one day we'll get the crowd to say, crucify him, crucify him. They spent their life attacking Jesus. So Jesus answers with a practical question. He says, how can Satan cast out Satan? And he's going to give you three parables, three little stories here. He says, first of all, is the kingdom. The kingdom. How can a kingdom have uh, political leaders in the kingdom and there's enough uprising of the people in the kingdom that they overthrow or try to overthrow the leaders of that kingdom? He said, you do that long enough, that kingdom will not stand. How long are you going to keep the iron curtain up? Until there's enough dissension in the kingdom that they say, tear that wall down. That's when it happens. Second illustration. You got the kingdom and you got the house. How can a family stay together if there's dissension in the house? How can the family stay together if the mom's going against the dad, the kids are going against the parents, the parents are going against the kid? It won't last. Somebody's going to have an affair, and somebody's going to walk away from that marriage. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Now, I'm healing a lot of demons How come they keep coming to me, is what Jesus is saying. If I'm I'm casting out these demons because I'm Satan, why why is there so many more demons coming by the thousands? Jesus is saying, that doesn't make sense. Gives the third illustration, the strong man. He says, not many who want to win a battle try to kill the little guys first. They try to bind the strong man. They go after the big man first. For example, if you want to steal the necklace off of Mr. T. You're going to steal that necklace off of him without first binding him. You're going to go up and say, I'm going to take that necklace right off you, Mr. T. You ain't going to do that. No, you're not going to do that because you can't do that. All right? The first thing you got to do is if you want the necklace of Mr. T, you've got to bind Mr. T. See, this is what he's saying here. You've got to bind the strong man. You've got to be able to manhandle him first before he can go after his little guys, the demons. So what Jesus is saying is, Satan's not casting out demons. I'm binding Satan. I'm stronger than Satan. So I abound the strong man, and I'm just now I'm just binding his little guys, his little demons. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm binding up Satan. And it so ticks Jesus off, that's why he says in verse 28, I truly say to you, you mark this down in your heart, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemies the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. What a statement. Listen, that was written to a wicked people, that we're trying to equate Jesus with Satan. But it was written to you to encourage you. See what you I mean? He says, all sins can be forgiven any man. I don't care what your sins are. I don't care if you had an abortion or you told your girlfriend to have an abortion. All sins can be forgiven. I don't care if you committed adultery all sins, this is a beautiful, beautiful verse. All sins can, I don't care if you murdered someone, I don't care what you have done, all sins can be forgiven, man. All of them. Even blasphemies. Even if you looked up to God and you said, God, I curse you for what you've done in my life. All blasphemies can be forgiven by God in heaven. But God says, if you continue to take the things that God is doing and you attribute them to someone who is the opposite of God, you look at what's happening and you say, that's not God. You say, it's Satan. Jesus said, that, that is an unforgivable sin because your heart is committed to be against me. You have hardened yourself. And you said, it's okay to murder. It's okay to commit abortion. It's okay to do these things. God says, no. If you'll own it and you'll say it was wrong, I know it was wrong, God said, I'll forgive it. But if you sit there and you continue to say, no, that's okay. That's right to kill someone. That's right to murder. That's right to commit adultery. And you harden your heart against it, God says, that sin is unforgivable. Because you're blaspheming the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart that is trying to teach you the truth of Scripture, to own your sin and to admit it. God says, if you'll do that, if if you'll just put your trust in me and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and put all your sins and own them and put them on me, as the sinless son of God, I carried them to a cross for you, and I paid the sacrifice for your sin. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful, but... The person who doesn't do that, the person who resists that, hardens the heart and says, I don't care what he says, I don't care what the Bible says, I don't care what he says, I'm just going to keep going like this. If you don't believe Jesus and his work on the cross and his shed blood to pay for your sins, and that he is the son of God and he is sinless, if you die like that, that's eternal. That's eternal. That's, that's what he says. So it's, it's, to you who sit here, say, oh, did, I ever, did I ever commit the unpardonable sin, Pastor Rob? The very fact that you're sitting here says to me at some level, your heart is tendered to the word of God speaking to you. And I would say 99% of you, if you've ever felt like you've the unpardonable sin, I'd say, no, you haven't. Now, the 1% who sit here and harden against what I'm saying, and say, no, that's not true. There's cases where this is right, or there's cases to justify adultery, or there's cases to justify murdering somebody, or there's cases to justify abortion. Listen, that's a hard heart. There's no no doubt in my mind. I I can't see how else you can see that. I'm just taking the simple truth of Scripture and trying to let it speak to you about those things. And so when a person owns that, that's the person who says, I refuse, I refuse to see it that way. That's the person that hardens against that. But I would say most of you here—not all of you—I don't know—most of you, not all of you, have not committed the unpardonable sin. Now, people don't walk around to say, and people don't walk around today and say Jesus is Satan. You don't hear that said today. But you hear something like this. This is similar. Jesus was a great man. He did great things, but he wasn't the Son of God. That's the unpardonable sin. Jesus was a great man, did great things, but he isn't. He wasn't the Son of God. Or you attribute the work of God to anything else but the Spirit of God, you're guilty of the unpardonable sin. You say, what do you mean? To look at all the people in history, for example, and say all those people who died for Jesus Christ, uh, they're, out, they're off their kilter. They didn't really die for Jesus Christ. They didn't give their life up for Him in, in the persecutions and the martyrdoms that they went through. That was just their craziness in their life that, that they, 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 uh, they didn't have God in them that made them do that. See, that that would be like an unpardonable sin. You won't allow the work of God to be done even today. Okay, the the one question then is this. Do you need to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior right now? And that's that's a big one because that's the one that is an eternal, unforgivable sin. You say, I reject that. I reject that. All right, number three, let's go on and I'll close it out here. Number three, do not mistake the value of your family for the value of God's family. His mother and brothers arrive. This is finishing the story from earlier. And they're outside. They're incensed. They won't go in. They're they're incensed at Jesus and they want him to come out. Tell him to get out here right now. And they say, Jesus, your mom and brothers are out there waiting for you. And Jesus says, "Uh, wait a minute, who are my real brothers and mother? Anybody who does the will of God. That's my family. That's my family. What about them? Anybody who does the will of God, that's my family. That's my family. Now, let's just get this straight, okay, because this could be a troublesome passage. For the record, Jesus loved his mom okay, he purposely didn't go outside on here to teach this one lesson. Jesus loved his mom, but he wasn't going to allow her to knock him off course. And the truth is, Mary came awfully close to getting Jesus off course. Come on home, son. You've gotten in too deep. That's a dangerous thing when a mother does that. And Jesus says, my true family are those who want to do the will of God. I want them to be on mission. And if somebody accuses me of being possessed by a demon or says I'm out of my mind and I'm crazy, it doesn't matter. Anybody who does the will of God is my family. I like that because if you had a family that didn't support you when you started out in ministry or walked with Christ and things didn't go so well, they didn't go better, they got worse because you gave your life to Christ. It is really good to know this verse, because what Jesus is saying to you is, "I got you, you are mine, and I'm your family. You're my family. So if you get rejected by anybody for your walk with Christ that is in your family, you mark that verse down. You're mine, we're family now. Now I believe many of you want to do the will of God in this room, I believe that with all my heart, I'm wanting to do the will of God. And because you're wanting to do the will of God and I'm wanting to do the God, we're family. We're family. That's what makes us family. Not that we go to the same church. It's that we want to do the will of God. That makes us family. So Mark makes the point. From the enemy to your own family, they can try to get you off mission, off course. Husband, wife, parent, mom, dad, relative. So what you have to do is you have to have people around you. This is why I know I kill this to death sometimes with connect groups and Sunday school. But let me just kill it one more time, okay? Connect groups and Sunday school is not so you can have Christian friends. That's not why we have it. We have connect groups and we have Sunday school so you have people around you that can encourage you to stay on mission. Because, how long do you think it would take if you got out of here, got on your own, and didn't surround yourself with people that would keep you on mission? It wouldn't take long, because I could tell you many of them. I could tell you many of the people that don't get themselves in community, in small community, and surround themselves with people that want to keep them on mission, and it didn't long till they're gone. It didn't long till they're off on something else. It didn't long till things happen in their life that got them away from their walk with the Lord. And I don't want to go any further than that, but I want you to keep that in your heart, okay? All right, so that's why those are so important to us. Parents, I want to say this to you. Really get behind your, Christ, your kid's Christian walk. Support it at every level. Don't hinder them in some way. If they go to a mission trip and say, I'm going back, support it. Support it with all your heart. I'm going to Bible college. Support it. Don't sit there and say, How are you going to make a living? You going to make a living off Bible college? You going to make a living off the ministry? How are you going to do that? If your kid says to you one day, I'm moving to the Midwest to help a plant, plant a church, get in on it. Get in on it. I had that support from my family. I had that support that's why I'm here. All five of my mom, of my mom and dad's kids are in ministry. When I was 13, I sat up in the stage right in the balcony with a bunch of other teenagers. I really wasn't living right. oftentimes I'd go to church and I was bored I didn't care but one day the pastor said something in the church and it made an impact on me he asked this question he said this he said To all the people in the congregation, would you be willing to have your child live in another country for the sake of the gospel? So this should be interesting. He said, if you are, would you stand? And I watched a few of the couples in the church, the parents stand. And I looked over and my mom and dad were standing. And I said, What are they standing for? That's what I thought, what are they standing for? There's a 13-year-old kid that sticks in my head to this day. And I'll tell you why. Because it changed my life. Mom didn't think I took note, but I did. Years and years and years later, my sister went to Argentina. And the anticipation of the event of standing in church service did not near come to the pain of going to the airport in Philadelphia to see her go to Argentina. The anticipation of the event was far greater than the experience of it. And she cried like a baby when my sister left. And then my sister went to Cedarville Christian University. And I remember when she left, my mom cried like a baby. And my sister, Karen, went down to New Jersey to work as a youth pastor's wife in New Jersey from Pennsylvania. Then I left at 22 to go to Indiana, went up to Wisconsin, went out to Colorado. We all left the state of Pennsylvania. And believe me, I tried to get back to the state of Pennsylvania with 100 resumes. There's just not that many Baptist churches in Philly. And so I just couldn't get back, and I tried. But every time we left, my mom cried like a baby. I was a little sarcastic with my mom one day, trying to cut up with her, get it lighter, but I was leaving for Indiana, go back to school, and she started crying again. And I said, Mom, stop crying. This is all your fault. She said, what do you mean, this is all my fault? I said, You should have never stood up that day in church. (laughs) But the truth of the matter is, with all my sarcastic humor, a 13 year old boy was watching. And it changed his life. I have no doubt today in heaven. Mary might have some regrets about trying to get Jesus off course. And I'm sure she's glad she didn't. But I'll bet you my mom has no regrets for all the tears she cried to see her kids stay on mission. Parents, that's what I want out of you. Just stay on mission with your life and stay on mission with your kids. People outside may say, you're crazy. You'll never make it. Why'd you go to Mozambique? Why'd you go to Africa like the Hemphills? I hope more and more people say we're crazy here. Let's pray. Just as your heads bowed and eyes closed, I'd like to just talk to you. I hope we do some radical things in this church to make people on the outside say, "We are crazy." We are crazy. I really pray for that. What's that mean? It means you got to get bigger. It means you got to go further. Got to get more bold. Your family will try to knock you off course. The world will try to knock you off course. But I'm asking you right now, do you feel like there's something God's calling you to? Maybe not to Mozambique. Maybe not to Africa with the hemp hills. But how about to your neighbor? Pastor Rob, that's kind of crazy. How about a change of job? How about full-time Christian service? How about selling some stuff and giving radically to missions and to ministry here at Triad? How about giving your gifts that God's given you to Jesus? What's stopping you? What's stopping you? This is what we're called to. I just pray for that. I pray for that for each life here. Right now, in the name of Jesus, Father, I pray that you'd gather all praise because it's only through you that we could do this. We need you. But God, I hope more and more say we're crazy here we're so intense and passionate about Jesus. So God, I pray you challenge each spirit, each heart here today that is listening to zero in omission where they are in their life. I lay it at your feet, Father, and we can only fuel that through the Holy Spirit. So God, you're everything to us. Use us in the way you see faith. I ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Praise team's going to lead us in this song. If there's a need in your heart or God's speaking to you about something in your life right now that pricks you. You want to bring that to the altar? The altar's always open. Let's sing.